Our scripture this morning is found in James 5, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me. If not, the scripture will be on the screens behind me. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the, Lord's, of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come before you thankful for your word that encourages and convicts. We thank you uh, that it is a word of truth that we can depend on, rely on, and that uh, we are growing ever more closely into your likeness through its wisdom. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. In response, I ask, oh God, that you would then open our hands, that we would offer grace generously to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have uh, a meeting in the church amongst uh, the preachers uh, that we uh, call uh, preaching prep. And it's a chance for us to look at the next months of sermons that, that we've already planned and worship planning and, and dig in a little more deeply and, and, and grind into what is the Lord speaking to us and speaking to our community through it. Uh, we, we recently had preaching prep on this uh, passage. And when it was read, everybody immediately went into their sheet on the computer to see who was preaching this. Um, and uh, the, the other preachers on the team said that this is the senior pastor sermon. <laughs> Megan's testifying in the back. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I get it. Uh, it opens with, now listen, you rich people weep and wail. And, and it's intense, and it invites us into an intense, uh, convicted uh, reflection. And so we're going to walk through this piece by piece, verse by verse. If you still have your Bibles, I invite you to stay with me as we walk along this path together. Um, but let me, let me first kind of enter into that. Now listen, I, I, I feel this great sense of urgency that James was, was writing with. Uh, he, he was urgent for a few reasons, I believe, and, and we might reflect on this. Think about those urgent moments in your life, like, like that first time or any time one of your kids starts running down the driveway towards the street, right? Stop! But you don't just vocalize it, you like get up and run, and everybody's like, man, I didn't know you could run that fast. 
In that moment, I can, right? Or if a kid who can't swim is near the pool, like you're ready to scoop them up or to dive in. Uh, iPhone, don't worry about it. I'm going to get it, right? Urgent. Or, or, or when you have a 15-year-old driving uh, for the first time with their permit, and, and you pull up on Lake Paloma as you're coming to Creekside Green Drive, uh, and, and you noticed the bicyclist, the, the, the cyclist that was, uh, that was coming down the sidewalk and about to cross in front of your new driver, but you also noticed that they didn't notice, and so when they took their foot off of the brake pedal and began to gas into the cyclist, you scream, stop! And you grab the wheel and you pray that they actually hit the brake. Not that that's ever happened to anyone. <laughs> totally, totally just a made up story. Not. Um, so, I mean, urgency. James has this urgency for two reasons. He has this urgency because he knows that Jesus will return, and he believes Jesus will return at any moment, that we don't know when he will return. And so in that space, that space that we're going to gather around communion later on, and we're going to say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We share that belief with James. Maybe we should feel that same sort of urgency that he had. That we don't know when Jesus will return, but we want to be awake. We want to be prepared. James also has an urgency because he knows the, what, what he is saying is, uh, is coming up against some controversy, right? He has so, some very clear Jesus messages to relay to the Jews, uh, particularly the Messianic Jews, but also the Jews that don't yet believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He has hope for them, and he's presenting this gospel message to them, and he knows that that's not very well received by many of them. So much so that, that just a few years after writing this epistle, James is indeed martyred. James, the brother of Jesus, James known as James the Just, was stoned to death by Pharisees under the direction of the high priest. And yet he knew he had an urgent message to bring to the world, truth of the gospel. It's this kind of urgency that we are invited into as chapter five opens for us. James is, is opening with a declaration, now listen. And he says, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. And, and, and we're like, Phew. I'm glad I'm not rich, <laughs> right? Good, good thing. Uh, good thing I'm not rich because my neighbor's rich, uh, but I'm not rich. They, they drive a nicer car. I'm not rich. Or like, like hey, we, like in Creekside, it's really obvious. You know, each neighborhood has a different pi price point, right? And so like, well, I live in this neighborhood, but I don't live in that neighborhood. And, and there's always another neighborhood that someone is pointing to saying that someone else is rich, but we're not. James is echoing a message here from Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Luke as, as uh, Jesus is inviting uh, 
um, us to come awake, to grasp this urgent message. In Luke chapter 6, verse 24, you might recall Jesus saying, Woe to you, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are rich, because you have received your comfort. This is Jesus' words. And, and maybe we need a moment of self-reflection so that we don't just dismiss this and say that this is someone else's message. Maybe we need some, some sobriety in the room. So here you go. Are you ready? The median household income in the world is approximately $10,000 a year. Are you rich? The median household income in the world is $10,000 a year. Are you rich? Am I rich? There's a, there's a website uh, that, that you could type in where you live, and, and you could type in your uh, post-tax income, and it will tell you what percentile you are in the world. I did it. It's startling. And I have a, a, a clear, uh, unequivocal truth to lay out for all of us today. Are you ready? Every single person that will be in this room today, including you, is rich. So it's not like I look to my left and they got more than me, or I look to my right and they got more than me. Just blanket statement, got a guarantee for you, everybody in this room is rich. So whenever we hear James say, uh, now listen, you who are rich, or we, hear, or we hear Jesus say, woe to you who are rich, it's not this message for someone else. In fact, I want you to hear this. Uh, over the course of all of human history, everyone that's going to be in this room today is rich, historically rich. All right, so now that we know this message is for us, we can't just wipe it away. We have to sit with it. Let's dig in a little bit together. Uh, we're going to continue in verse 2, and we're going to read the beginning of verse 3 and just connect them together. It says, your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Weep and wail because your stuff is all temporal. Everything that you treasure, things, stuff that you treasure, it is all wasting away. Let me get a very particular practical example, and then I want you to equate that to everything else. You know that shirt that you loved. That shirt that you had for, for like 10 years, 15 years. I have a hoodie. All right, I have this hoodie that I've had since 1997. I love this hoodie. I still wear it when I'm warming up for basketball, okay? And, and, and the weird thing is, it, it used to like be baggy because that was the style back then, and now it's fitted, which is good because that's the style right now, okay? 
Like, like I got this hoodie, and this hoodie is just getting more and more tattered and worn. It got a little peely, and then it, like, like, like the, 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 there was, you know, a little bit of, of like an elastic is gone, like it, and now it's getting holes in it. And I know the day is coming because it has come for other articles of clothing in my life where Lauren is going to look at me when I wear this hoodie and she's going to say, throw it away. It is trash. And you know what? She's right. Because it's wasting away. Everything that you treasure, all of the stuff in your life is decaying. Jesus uh, teaches us, by the way, uh, James, James knew Jesus is teaching. He's constantly reflecting it back to us in this passage. Uh, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, uh, it's, it's Jesus in the famous Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Moth, it's the, same, it's the same reference that James has for us here. And they're both saying that this stuff of this world, it's wasting away. And so when you're attached to it, when you are so invested in it, your house, your car, your clothes, your stuff, it will make you weep and wail when you realize in this life or the next that it was nothing from the very beginning. George Strait had it right. George Strait said in, uh, in his song, You'll Be Here, or excuse me, You'll Be There, uh, I've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. Whether you realize your stuff is worthless here or there, you're going to find out. And so James is urging us to figure this out now rather than later. What is it for us to see our stuff in relationship to God? And for us to consider, where is my value? How do I put a value on my things? Am I valuing it higher than I value my relationship to God? Am I more dependent on it than I am my relationship with God? Am I more committed to it than I am my relationship with God? And then it causes us to enter into that honest space of convicted reflection and consider Lord, what are you doing with me and what are you inviting me into? Such an important task for us. There are things that, that we are attached to that we don't, even, uh, we don't even realize they're wasting away. My mom grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, uh, right off of MLK uh, at a prominent corner just as you exited this residential area and entered into a more commercial district, and everybody knew where she lived. I mean, if you, if you met someone from Port Arthur and you told them where my, where my grandparents lived, where my mom grew up, then they could just name the house. Beautiful two-story house right on the prominent drag. And you know what? My mom and our entire family loved that house. We loved going there, the memories we made there. 
there. I mean, the, the ditch in the front yard and the golden triangle uh, uh, way of things. My, my sisters and I would just run up and down the ditch with our cousins. Uh, we loved that place. But now, if you drive down the main drag in Port Arthur, it, it's not standing. It's been torn down. And you could be tempted as you, as you drive by that once treasured place to, to let tears well up in your eyes because you consider what's been lost. Even our houses, our homes, are wasting away and are nothing. It's just stuff. What is that in comparison to God? The scripture continues on at the, at the end of verse three. It says, look, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, I know that, that hoarding is, is a very tender topic because it comes with so much struggle, so much emotional attachment that, that we connect things to people and to memories, and in those connections, we experience loss, and we displace that loss by, by aiming it to attaching to things, and all of us, I believe, have some form of hoarding. Now, we might watch the, the television show Hoarders and be like, well, that's not me, kind of like we said, well, I'm not rich. Uh, and, then, and then we look in that one corner of the closet or that one corner of our garage and we realize that we've been doing some of the same things, just not on the same scale. And what James is saying here is, is, is you hoard your wealth. Jesus refers to it in this way. He, he tells a parable uh, in, in the gospel of Matthew. He tells a parable of the talents, and he says, he says uh, God is giving you gifts, and when he gives you these gifts, he's calling you to be generous and calling you to invest and calling you to serve. And, and then this one, this one individual who received the talent buried the talent and then took the same exact talent back to the giver and said, look, I got the same thing you gave me. I hoarded it for all of these years. And there is judgment upon that one because they didn't share, they weren't generous, they didn't invest in others. Jesus is offering this word of invitation. James is echoing it for us, hoarding your gifts in the last days as a word of conviction and truth. When I hear these last days, I'm reminded of, of Revelation 21, verse 18 through 21, that begins to describe uh, the, the, the eternal kingdom. Uh, you might remember some of these elements that, that are described in heaven. It says that the walls, the very walls are made of jasper. And then it describes the 12 gates that enter into heaven. And these gates, each gate is one single pearl. Can you imagine a pearl, like, like tall enough for Yao Ming to walk through? Like this massive pearl, and it's this gate, and there are 12 of them. And, and, and it's so beautiful, so grand, so audacious. It, even the streets are made of gold. Some of y'all have been reading your Bibles. I love it. Even the streets are made of gold. And I think whenever we hear a passage like that that describes eternity, we begin to think, wow, God's glory is on display. How magnificent these things are. And I think there, there is supposed to be a sense of awe 
that builds up within us, but there's also a, a sense of, of, of balance for us. That the things that we treasure here and now are mundane to God. The streets are gold. God's like, gold? I got gold? Look at all this gold. There's so much gold, it's nothing to me. Horses walk on it and do other things on it as well, and that's nothing to me. I don't have to put it in a safety deposit box. I don't have to count it in my investments or my pension plan. It's gold, it's whatever, it's mundane. Can you imagine? The things that we treasure here are nothing when it comes to eternity. What a glorious image for us to get, and yet we hoard these things even in the last days when that's what's awaiting us in heaven. The scripture continues on it in verse four. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. This, this image of harvesting is, is consistently turned to in the scriptures, not just the way we uh, pay and accommodate those who have those jobs of labor, but also the, the way in which we operate our lives so that we don't, uh, we don't take everything for ourselves, but rather we make sure that, that, our, that our extra is blessing others. In Scripture, it talks about this. Uh, let's let uh, the, uh, the extra on the edges of our fields and the extra that is not harvested at the beginning, let those be for the widows, the orphans, and the aliens. Let's care for the least of these in our midst. Make sure everyone has enough. How do we care for those who serve us? And when we serve others, we are reminded what it's like to be dependent on someone else's care and generosity. If you didn't ever wait tables, I wish you did. If you weren't ever dependent on someone's tips, I wish you had. We were uh, on the ski trip, and some of the best conversations just happened randomly around tables at meals. We were, I was with some of the students, and all of a sudden, a conversation broke, up, broke out about tipping. I, I, don't, I don't remember where it began, but the, the image of Shogun with four students sitting around one single large uh, fried rice, and then um, you know staying there for two hours, and then giving like nothing as a tip just came to my mind. Not that that's ever happened. Y'all have never seen that. And they started talking about how much they tip. And some of them have begun depending on tips as a part of their employment because they're 16, 17 years old. And some of them, man, they got no clue. And, and one, one of the students just lifted up in loud voice, I don't ever tip on anything. That's their job. And then there was this massive debate about appropriate tipping. And I talked about, look, Christians should be the best tippers, right? I said, do you love Jesus? Yes, then you better tip. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a no play, it didn't work out. I, <laughs> I, said, I said, look, when you go to Torchies and it's just counter service and that button comes up on the little monitor and you have a choice, no tip or tip, 
you better tip. Even at Torchies, they're like, I'm never gonna tip at Torchies. They don't, they don't come to my table, they don't refill my drinks. I said, you better tip at Torchies. <laughs> How do we honor and care for those that serve us? How do we lean into generosity as a part of our daily practice? So that it's not just above and beyond extraordinary, but it's intentional rhythms of life. How do we care for those that serve? James is clear that there is judgment, there is, there, there is evaluation that will take place, and our failure to, to love and care for those that serve us will be accounted for. Verse 5 continues on, and I believe that this is somewhat of a, of a summary of the content that we had in 2 and 3 and verse 4. It says, you have lived on earth, you, we, the rich, have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You put stuff and self above God and others. We put stuff and self above God and others, luxury and self-indulgence, and we have it upside down. I mean, that's the beauty of this kingdom of God, this, this kingdom here amongst us that Jesus instituted for us. Everything is now upside down, and we now have to fight those tendencies and urges and rather be driven towards God, dependence on God, and serving and blessing others, God and others above stuff and self. This is our new framework as Christians. And he, he, he says that this, that this is evidenced, our, our rebellion against this truth is evidenced in the fact that we fatten ourselves for the day of slaughter. Now this is a, a metaphor that, that is lost on many of us. It's a Jewish metaphor. The day of slaughter in Jewish tradition is referring to the day of atonement. During the day of atonement, each year, the Jews will make sacrifices for their sins so that they will receive atonement from God. And, and here's, here's what, what James is saying. We have fattened ourselves for the day of slaughter, the day of atonement, because we are acting as though we are the sacrifice to be made. That, that, that it, it's not an animal substitute, it's not Jesus who's taken on our sin, but we are operating as though, our, as, as though we ourselves are God, and in that frame of reference, we are being judged and we are fattening ourselves so that we would be at the slaughter. What a convicting word that James is laying out before us. What would it be for us to reframe and refocus? In verse 6, in verse 6, James continues on, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. 
I believe this is a direct reference to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3 at the day of Pentecost as the Spirit uh, came upon the Christian believers and Peter stood, rose, and presented the gospel message in the sermon for all of those in Jerusalem that would hear and receive it. And as he proclaimed, he, he, he shared uh, about the nature of Jesus that, that the people of, uh, of Israel, that the Jewish people murdered and condemned the innocent one, Jesus. And we could receive that uh, as, as our own condemnation as well. We could enter into a state of hopelessness as we hear that we who are rich, who are fattening ourselves on the day of slaughter, who will weep and will well, uh, wail, are also condemning uh, ourselves to murdering Jesus over and over again through our sinful actions. But there's also a, a move, a direction of hope for each of us to hear. Jesus, while innocent, took on our sin, including our sin of gluttony, including our sin of hoarding our wealth, including our sin of luxury and self-indulgence. He took on that sin so that whenever we are working to make the move to generosity, to being God-dependent and other-centric, we have His grace and His strength upon us. Some of us during this message have heard it and said, I don't know where to start. I don't know how this would be possible to have this reframing. Let us know with hope in our hearts that the innocent one has taken on our sins so that we might live in him. I have a challenge for you this week. My challenge is for us to move from this self-indulgent state of being, and you might have heard of random acts of kindness or random acts of generosity. That's not what I'm asking about. I want to invite you to consider an intentional act of generosity. Each and every one of us is rich. What would it be for us to consider the needs of someone else this week and do something intentionally generous to bless them? What would it look like if all of us did that? What would it look like if all Christians did that? The world would richly know of God's grace and love. May that begin through you and through me this week. Would you pray? Gracious and loving God, what, what an extraordinary invitation you have for us. Lord, we, we turn to you. We depend on you. Provide for us. Strengthen us. And Lord, as we center our hearts and lives on you, let that lead us, direct us to love others well, even with, especially with our wealth. Lord, we ask that you would 
Use this, your word, to, to shape and mold us more and more into your likeness each and every day. Lord, we thank you uh, for the truth of your word, even when it convicts and cuts deep. We ask, God, that you would, that you would not give up on us. Lord, we thank you that you never give up on us. Persist with your grace and love in our lives. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter to the, into this time of offering, we pray that you would uh, bless uh, the gift and the giver alike, that all that is done in this space would be glorifying to you, Almighty God. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.